Well, tonight we're going to pick up where we left off last week. And last week we studied uh, finding the flaws, recognizing self-destructive views. And this will be part two. Our main idea is loving God with all our mind means thinking well. In other words, being a good steward of our thinking faculties which the Lord has given us. And so, you, uh, does anybody not have an outline? Everybody good? Awesome. So we're going to look, go through a few verses here. Uh, many of them are in Proverbs that deal with people who believe simply anything. Uh, Proverbs 14.15 says, The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. We're not going to ask for a show of hands, but have you ever believed anything that you saw on an email forward only to later find out that it was a hoax? That got... I was in high school. I was so fired up. I'm going to go into law school and get involved in politics and change the world. And I got this email, right? It looked legit. And Madeline Murray O'Hare somehow had exited or come out from hiding. And she was back on the march for atheism. So I made sure to send that to all my friends to be prepared. Well, it it was the biggest hoax on the planet. Somebody replied in the email forum that that was a hoax. And I felt like an absolute moron. Okay? So the Bible says, this is an illustration of the symbol believes everything. But here's what we want to do in this study. We want to give thought not only to how we think, but how we go about explaining that to other people. Another verse. Proverbs 18.2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing what? His opinion. What that simply means is that if a person doesn't listen, but they simply wait for that point in the conversation where they can inject what they want to say. Have you ever had a conversation like that? You're trying to explain your side and the other person is not tracking at all with that. This is what the Bible says about them. Now, this that may not be the most appropriate time to be like, by the way, did you know your life verse is Proverbs 18.2? Like, well, what does that mean? A fool takes no pleasure. In a, it may not be the best time, but this is for us to understand uh, the way that it works. Proverbs 23. It is an honor for a man to keep aloof or separate from strife, but every fool will be quarreling. Now, here's kind of a little difficulty for us when we want to witness to people because let me ask it this way are we ever going to to be in a conversation uh, in which we have absolute assurance that there will be no argument are we assured argument free conversations no so here's one way that we could avoid arguments we could never talk about Jesus right If you never talk about Jesus, it's a very small probability that you'll have an argument about him. But is that an option? That's not an option if we're a Christ follower. But here's the thing. Is it possible to communicate the gospel and when someone tries to hook you in through all sorts of fallacies and emotional reactions to try to hook you to argue, is it possible to explain the gospel without getting into and emotionally charged arguments. Yes. And who is the one who enables us to do that? This goes back to Sunday school cancer. Yeah, the Holy Spirit through us. And some of us have experienced that when you get into the heat of battle, sometimes stuff kicks in and you feel yourself just get hot from head to toe, and you just get ticked off, and that person's trying to push buttons. It 
is an honor for a man to keep aloof from strife. In other words, we can still be passionate about Jesus, but it doesn't mean that we have to get in the gutter with them and start throwing elbows and fish hooks and all sorts of personal attacks um, that are so common. Proverbs 26.12 Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a what? Fool than for him. What do you guys think are some of the, the signs, some of the ways that you can see that a person is wise in their own eyes? What kind of stands out for people who just think that they're awesome? Okay. Okay. Good. They won't take advice. Yeah. What else? False pride. Okay. Okay. Everything's centered around them. It's like me universe. Okay. Good. Good. And and see, this is where the gospel is so practical because when you get into the book of Proverbs, it's how to live. It's literally, the the book is like how to live. Like uh, Francis Schaeffer wrote that book, How Now Then Shall We Live? Like, okay, we know about the gospel. What does that mean for for my life? When Jesus comes into our life, it sets us free from a life of self um, being on top every time. Some more verses. Proverbs 29, 11. A fool gives, I love this translation here, full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. How would you describe having to talk to someone who has no control over their spirit, their emotions? What's that like? Having to talk about difficult things, break it down. Frustrating. Okay, frustrating. What else? Someone who has gives full vent to his spirit. In other words... Well, if I think it, I'm just going to give them a piece of my mind. I'm just going to let them know what I think. If they tell me this, I'm mean, that that type of mentality. If you're not prepared, you don't know they're going to start doing that, it can be intimidating. Yes. Yes, absolutely. That that made one thing that came to my mind was a little bit of fear. Now, not so much a fear of this person is going to shoot me or hit me or something like that. But when you're dealing with a person that is unstable, that they're just not able to talk about issues. Everything becomes personal. Um, the, the Bible says that that person is a, y'all tell me, a fool. That's a little bit politically incorrect, but notice the opposite side of the coin. But a wise man quietly holds it back. I think that the mentality that says, well, if I think it, I'm just going to give them a piece of my mind. And well, my mind said, do y'all think that that, you tell me, do you think that that has more bearing with humility, the humility of Christ? Or I'm so important, go with me on this. I'm so important and my mind works so well and my thoughts are so valuable that even if it does, does harm to people, I'm still just going to let them have it. Does that have more to do with humility or pride? I think it's, it's, I think it's pride. And what I've heard so many times, even in church throughout my life, well, in my mind, I, and people just let it rip, 
whether it's in a meeting or a private conversation, I think that we, we would do well to pay attention to the Bible that says a, quiet, a wise man quietly holds it back. In other words, there are some things that you say, would this be helpful to the cause of Christ? Proverbs uh, 29, 20. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Now, I have stuck my foot in my mouth before, and I'm not going to take up the 22 minutes that we have left to give you illustration after illustration after illustration. Some of them are hilarious, and some of them not so much. But a man who's hasty in his words, there is more hope than a fool for him. Why would this be the case? In other words, emotions, reactions, words. Kind of just like a machine gun that goes off at random. Why would there be more hope for a fool than for a person like that? When you're that hasty, you're never going to slow down to think about what you're saying. Okay. You're never going to change. Yeah, yeah. It's like, seriously, if, if the idea here is hasty, in other words, automatic, then I'm not even going to take the time to take a step back and say, am I acting like a fool or am I a fool? So in other words... There's more hope for a fool than him, for him because there are certain times that if a fool slows down, it's like, man, I'm not living the way that I should. There's something wrong in my life. I hurt this person. I acted this way at work. I, I did this at, at home. I am acting. Yep, that that's me. Boom. Holy Spirit hits you right between the eyes. But if a person never stays, it's just, it is just emotion, boom, words, it's never even going to register. And then, I love this passage in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide, or if you remain in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. That is, you see, that's, that's what we're trying to do with these Wednesday night scenarios. Deliver the truth in such a way that our passion comes across as passion and not being a jerk. And when we communicate things in such a way to where the person understands that the words that we say are true, but they're restorative. They're trying to restore the person and help the person as opposed to, I'm here lobbing grenades at you down here. You know, dealing with the Christian and pagan thing. There's a lot of cheesy church jokes that could enter in there, but... That's an absolute awesome opportunity to share the love of Christ. Which were any of y'all surprised? If, and it's in Franklin County. Were any of y'all surprised that there are pagans, Wiccans in Franklin County? I have met Buddhists here. Uh, we don't have a mosque yet, but as other places in the U.S., if towns continue to grow, those things simply happen. So, as many people have said, the world is coming to us. World is coming to us, and we all—all all we need to go is to Roanoke, an absolute cross-cultural experience. Even Lynchburg, people all over the world. So that's why this is so uh, important. So here's three reasons why people may resist when you talk to them about Jesus. Number one would be emotional reasons, bad church experiences. They may have encountered suffering. Uh, some people have emotional issues with the idea of hell. Uh, the the idea of how could a loving God allow people to suffer. Uh, in hell forever. And we covered that back in our systematic theology series. Uh, secondly, <clears throat> a reason for resistance would be prejudice. In other words, their minds are already made up. Remember when Paul was preaching on Mars Hill there in Athens, and he's, he's preaching in Greece, all the philosophers, there were a lot of them who, what, what was their reactions? Anybody remember? 
They didn't hit their knees in repentance. Yeah. 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 What's the newest thing on the theological radar? And then when the Apostle Paul brought up the resurrection of the dead, they're like, your time's up. Hit the bell. Go home. Because they had already made up their minds that the resurrection of the dead was impossible. Number three, hard heartedness. John uh, 3, 19 and 20 says, and this is the judgment. By the way, this is right after John 3, 16. Just a couple verses. Notice how Jesus breaks this down. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. One small illustration would be for those of you parents or your grandparents. My parents always said, when the boys were quiet, that's when we got worried. Parents come in. What are you guys doing? Look down, try to get into a corner. Why? We're guilty. It's kind of like when, when the police drive down the street. Um, if, you're, if you're not doing anything wrong, sometimes say, wave at the officer, or go about the basketball game, or go about the walk. But if you're doing something wrong, sweaty palms. I was watching um, a show on, on Nat Geo the other day about these guys from Europe who will go... And they meet Colombian women, and these Colombian women get these guys to try to bring cocaine. They put an extra layer of clothes inside their jeans and fill it with cocaine. All sorts of crazy, evil, brilliant ways to try to smuggle cocaine. And they try to bring that on flights back to mainland Europe. And the DEA agent was saying it's very easy to pick out the guys who are carrying this stuff because they don't like to stand next to people, they avoid eye contact, they act very awkward. And that's what Jesus says. If you're doing wicked things, you try to stay away from the light. And that is what most of us deal with with our friends. You tell me, um, someone who's not walking with Jesus, someone who's unsaved, Unless God's really dealing with their heart, what reactions do you normally get when you ask them something as benign as, why don't you come to church with me on Sunday? What's, what's some of the reactions that you get? I don't believe in all that religiosity. Okay, all right. I'm sorry? The church roof would fall in. Okay, one guy told me, actually one guy told me in Georgia when I was pastoring there, he walked out of the church and he's like, Man, I'm surprised. I was like, why are you surprised? He says, I didn't burst on, burst into flames when I walked into the church. I was like, bro. But yeah, what, what, are, what are some other reactions that people have when you ask them? I mean, something is simple. Like, just come to church with me. I so, don't have to go to church and be a Christian. I can be a Christian at home. Okay. All right. Also heard, I'm a very spiritual person on my own. Okay. Worship God in my boat, right? Tree stand, lake, yeah. You, you know, it's interesting. At least my, my whole context of ministry has always been in the South. So I had no friends you know, in the North or out in the West. But it, it's interesting that there are a lot of people that I think there's so much guilt that just the side of a church steeple, if it's a traditional building kind of like ours or whether it's a new one, anything that has to do with Jesus causes an automatic feeling of guilt. So they try to stay away from that. That's just, that's, just, that's just what I've 
gathered from talking with people about. But Jesus says that for everyone who does wicked things, hates the light. What we need to pray for is that God would change the heart and then they would, um, they would change. Here's a, here's a, uh, we're going to look at a few illustrations in the time that we have left. Um, this homosexuality issue is very big in our culture right now. Uh, we went through this last time. We're just going to do it by way of review. But here's what happens when you say something like, I believe that homosexuality is wrong. The skeptic will say this. Um, people twist the Bible all the time to make it say whatever they want. We can respond many ways, but here's one way we could respond. Very true. Is that right? People do twist the Bible all the time. But how does that relate to the point that I made about homosexuality? And they may say, you're doing the same thing. We could respond with this. Aren't you going to have to do, to do more than point out that some people twist the Bible? You need to show how I'm actually twisting the Bible. True? Have you studied these biblical passages before? And by the way, we don't have to say it like, have you studied the Bible? You know, but just say, I mean, have you ever had the chance to check out these verses or read the Bible? I think this is a perfect illustration when I was uh, teaching philosophy class at a secular college in South Carolina. And there, was, uh, there were a lot of atheist students in those classes, but one in particular, any time mention of Christianity or God was brought up, he did one of these. He kind of threw his head back and crossed his arms. And uh, one time he, he said, the Bible's not true. And I said, I said, have you, have you ever read the Bible? And he said, no. And I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I'm thinking, if you're absolutely convinced that something is absolutely false, but you've never read it, I rest my case. So ask them, have you actually studied it? Most people have not. Uh, whether they say yes or no, we can say, then how do you know that I'm twisting these verses? Another one, when um, this is towards the end of where we ended up last week, when a question is not a question, somebody will say something like this. What gives you the right to say that someone else's religion is wrong? Now, is this, is this really a question? Like the subject. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like a question, but it's kind of like a punch in the gut, too. You know, to say, who are you, you crazy fundamentalist Christian? Uh, Here's one way we could respond. We could respond by, what do you mean by that? I think we all need to learn that phrase. What do you mean by that? What are you saying with that statement? Or, I get the impression you think I've made a mistake here. Where did I go wrong? Just ask him, say, at what point did I go wrong? Which area was it that that it seemed like I was incorrect. And a lot of times, these are those those things that people hear, and then it comes out the mouth, but it never really goes through the brain to think about what does this statement mean. They just hear it, and they say it, and if we all we have, and once again, are we arguing with them here? All we're doing is asking them a question. And how many people do we know that love to answer questions? about what they think, most every person in the world. So uh, that's one way that you can uh, deal with that. If somebody says this, God doesn't take sides. Have you ever heard that before? Somewhat, not necessarily in context of the Civil War debate. Um, I know that was an issue that came up uh, then. But uh, we could say this, 
What do you think God's opinion is on our disagreement? It's a good question. And they could say God doesn't take sides. And we could respond with, so it sounds like God would be on your side of this issue, right? If God doesn't take sides, and they're saying God doesn't take sides, and apparently we, the fundamentalist evangelical Christians, are taking sides, so they'd say, I think so. And we could respond to say, apparently God does take sides. Right? So this would be a self-defeating statement. Uh, Another one, when you bring up the Bible, they will say, to err is human. And we could say, do people always make mistakes? You don't seem to think you've made a mistake about doubting the Bible. Right? And they may not know what to say. We could also say... If people don't always make mistakes, though, you can't rule out the Bible just because people wrote it, can you? It's not enough to dismiss the Bible simply by noting that men wrote it. This in itself proves nothing. It doesn't follow that if people are capable of error, we all track them with this, that they always will err. Taking its face value, this objection is self-refuting, right? Just because someone has the potential to make a mistake doesn't mean that they did. And notice here, we're not giving up biblical inerrancy, which we can't. I think we we have to believe the Bible. It's true. All of it is true. But this is a way to get the point across by asking them questions. Um, When you hear somebody say something that's absolutely... I just put this up here. What to do when you hear crazy talk? When you hear something that just seems bizarre... Uh, There's three ways to deal with that. First, we reduce their view to its specific claim. Just say, let me see if I understand you correctly. Then secondly, we could just say we would ride out the idea. In other words, just follow it to its logical conclusion. If I follow your principle consistently, what implications will it have for other issues? Will it produce a truth that seems wrong or counterintuitive? Will any absurd consequences, absurd consequences result? And finally, recognize obvious problems with the idea. So we reduce it, say, okay, what's really here? Then we say, well, what's really here is this. Let's take it for a test drive and then recognize. For example, um, the claim that Jesus would forgive. Let's take for, um, someone who has committed multiple murders. Okay, They have been found guilty of that. It's very clear. Uh, let, let's say for, for like the guy out in Colorado who went into um, the theater and killed all of those people in cold blood. There are some people who I believe misunderstand the Bible's view on justice. And if we were to advocate that this person deserves the death penalty, we are told Jesus would forgive. So first, let's reduce what this is saying. If this is what we should do, then it would never be right for a criminal to be punished. True? If, if, this, if this, simply this, this thing, Jesus would forgive, then that means we should never punish a criminal. But Romans 13 tells us that it is the government's job to punish those who do evil. So therefore, even though Jesus might forgive murderers, it doesn't mean it's always wrong for the government to punish them. And another thing, too, that you may want to write down in your notes in regards to this is there's a difference between um, punishment and uh, pardon. 
There's a difference between punishment and pardon. Uh, For example, uh, I am, as a Christ follower, if I had a member of my family killed in that shooting, I am enabled by the Holy Spirit to forgive the shooter. To forgive him. But I do not have the authority to pardon him, you see. He still broke the civil and the moral law, and justice needs to be paid. Now, my personal uh, relationship with that shooter, I am to forgive him through the power of the Holy Spirit, but there still has to be punishment. I cannot pardon him unless I have the ability to do that. As an individual Christian, I must forgive and the law must punish. Do you have any questions about that? I know a lot of times that, that causes con- controversy and, and conflict, but I think that that really helps, at least it helps me, uh, understanding what the Bible teaches about justice. Um, some people will say this when the gay marriage issue comes up. They'll say, um, people years ago made a mistake about interracial marriage, and the Bible does not ban Interracial marriage in the Old Testament was always a problem of the sin, not not as a result of the skin. And you even see people within the line of Jesus uh, who were not Israelites. Uh, Ruth was a Moabitess. You see all sorts of people that were inducted in through faith. But what we're told by some people today is that to argue against homosexuality is to make the same mistake as that. So, in other words, we could say this. If interracial marriage um, is the same as gay marriage, we were wrong in the past on one issue, interracial marriage. Therefore, we are wrong in the present on a different issue. That's what they're actually saying. And we know that that's not the case. And the the idea, if we just drove it out to its logical conclusion, uh, we could say this, since the government was wrong endorsing same-sex marriage in the present, Uh, This is absurd because the same kind of reasoning produces contradictory results. Same-sex marriage is wrong and same-sex marriage is right. You see, the view falls apart on its own marriage, or its own merits. And then number three, we reassess it. We could say this, you cannot argue that because people were wrong in the past that they are also wrong in the present about a different issue. And uh, that we'll, we'll end here uh, with the few minutes that we have left. But this, those examples that we looked at are simply illustrations of what Jesus did all the time. In Matthew 12, uh, 24 through 29, the Bible says this. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, which is kind of a name that they use for Satan, the prince of demons, this, that this man cast out demons. In other words, they were saying, Jesus, you're casting out demons because you're in league with Satan. But Jesus responds, Knowing their inner thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan, this is so brilliant, if Satan cast out Satan, then he is divided against himself. True? How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul or Satan, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and 
Plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. You see what Jesus did? He took what they were saying. said, guys, if what you're saying is true, then this. And he absolutely won the day. Which, by the way, wouldn't it be bad to try to debate Jesus and he knows what you're already thinking? I mean, after a while, like after him healing people and raising people from the dead and telling you what you're thinking, you would have thought that they would have stopped a lot sooner than they did in the Gospels. Like, guys, let's have a huddle. Let's just leave him alone. You know, this is we're getting dominated every time we try to challenge Jesus. So in other words, the way that we reduce this is that Jesus cast out demons by the power of Satan. And if Satan is the source of Jesus' power, then Satan is casting out Satan, destroying his own kingdom. We know that this is absurd. And finally, to reassess it, Jesus' power does not come from Satan, but from God, who opposes Satan. Therefore, those who oppose Jesus are not opposing Satan, but are opposing God. And every single Jewish hearer that would have been in the presence of Jesus giving that breakdown would have understood what he meant when he went into the discussion about the unpardonable sin, which is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which is knowing that it is the power of God working miracles, but because a person wants to remain in control of whatever they think, they're attributing that to the power of Satan and not to the power of God.